the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Thomas Moss was living the dream. He was a respected member of the Memphis social scene. He was an avid churchgoer, father, and husband to a pregnant wife. And in the post-Civil War South, blacks who worked hard and did well were often envied by white business owners still bearing a grudge. And this was the case for Thomas Moss. As a local black store owner, he'd worked his way up to becoming the president of the People's Grocery Company, a joint stock general store. And this, however, had had caused a competing store owner, a Mr. W.H. Barrett, who had allowed his shop to just be reduced to like a gambling den, to become a, a real thorn in the side for Thomas Moss. And the dream came crashing down for Moss in March 1892. A fight broke out between children, some black, some white. Adults got involved, including W.H. Barrett, who claimed he was assaulted by one of Moss's clerks. So following that, rumours were spread and plans were made to torch the People's Grocery Company. The situation escalated into an attack by a frenzied mob. In self-defence, black clerks fired shots before realising that the, um, the mob included police deputies. Men were wounded, but the damage was done. The People's Grocery Company was ransacked in hundreds of black homes. Moss was arrested despite not even being present. Four days later, a gang of whites entered the jail unhindered and seized Moss and two others, none of whom had a criminal record. They were dragged out of town and shot. Does this story awaken your sense of injustice and cause you perhaps shame and despair? Have you ever asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? And this has been the cause for many to question and and question their faith, perhaps. And it's an age-old mystery, isn't it? Why do good things happen to bad people and why do bad things happen to good people? It's a question that Asaph tackles in Psalm 73. We've been working through a few psalms this month and uh, it's been wonderful to hear the messages. But if you want to turn to Psalm 73, that's today's psalm. It's written by one of David's worship leaders, Asaph. And I wonder if Asaph felt for victims of injustice when he wrote this Or was it just merely a sense of self-pity when he penned this psalm? Let's, Let's read and see. 
Psalm 73, verse 1 and 2 says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. The psalmist Asaph must have felt pretty low spiritually when he wrote these verses. As one of David's well-trained worship leaders, he had showed allowed doubt, I think, and self-pity to creep in. And he'd almost thrown in the towel spiritually as he pens this psalm. Have you ever felt like this? If we're really honest, have we, have we been there? Where you've almost given up something important, maybe even your faith, I'm sure most of us have come close like Asaph. Has COVID-19 made, made you question why? You know, why travel to work when I can work at home? Why go to church when I can get streaming from the best of the best preachers at home in your PJs? <laughs> it's caused many to almost, almost give up on faith, hope, and perhaps even justice. As a young man, I almost gave up a, uh, my farming career and would have had it not been for a very wise mum. I almost went to a job in Canada at 18. Almost. In 20 years of youth, working with youth, we almost gave up around about September some years. We needed to be on guard every spring to watch our soul, our spirit. Many business owners almost sell up at the 11th hour when financial breakthrough is almost there when the hard yards have been done. Even missionaries have given up when spiritual breakthrough is almost there perhaps even some marriages. I almost died on December 29, 2015. I've come to really hang on to the word almost because although we can come close to stumbling or disaster many times, God's mercy drags us away from the almost cliff edge. Is anyone hearing me? Has anyone been there? Are you struggling with an almost situation this morning? You might well ask, well, why even get that close to the edge and almost fall over? Better to play it safe and not be in any risk of slipping up. Well, I've come to realize that I'd rather be almost spent fighting spiritual battles, falling time and time again in an attempt to achieve something eternal than to be watching from the grandstand. If you're not almost stumbling, then maybe you're on the sideline and you need a fresh vision. If some Christians were any more laid back, they'd fall over. <laughs> Having said that, we are all uh, on a unique journey, a unique faith journey, and we shouldn't rush recklessly into harm's way. 
Rather, we should be people who walk confidently by faith. Amen? It's good to be passionate about the Father's business. It's really good to be really excited about what you're doing and, and be doing what God's called you to be. But the busier we get, we risk being taken out by a harmful puff of wind blowing us beyond our personal limit. Proverbs 6 verse 27 and 28 says, Can a man take in his bosom, uh, take fire, sorry, in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? The answer, of course, is no. You can't do those things and not get hurt. This verse is really essentially speaking about temptation, but it could also be speaking about pace and lasting the distance. So let's open our word and let's read this psalm uh, from 1 to verse 14 for a start. Let's read. Surely God is good to Israel, Psalm 73, to those who are at, uh, pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling, my steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. The imagination of their heart runs riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore his people return to his, this place and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. And always at ease, they have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened, that means corrected, every morning. Wow, 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 wow. This guy is really low. <laughs> He's got some serious doubts. If you weren't depressed when you arrived here today, you certainly have reason to be now. <laughs> but stay with me. It's about to turn. As much as it's tempting to get to the good news, I, I feel there is actually value in unpacking these verses, unpacking these faith killers in Psalm 33, and I've got three of them. We're going a bit low-tech this morning. They're not on the screen. If you've got a pen, take some notes. Number one is comparison. This is the first faith killer. We compare ourselves with someone else. It's a, a slippery slope to compare ourselves to others who we think are better off. Wondering why do good things happen to bad people? Or why do they get the breaks? So the number one faith killer in our life is to compare. Everyone has their own race to run, need to stay in our own lane. 
Number two, doubt and looking back. Verse 13. Let's read it again. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. You know, it really messes with our hearts when we doubt that living pure is worth it. You know, why am I doing all this and they get all the breaks and they're not even blah, blah, blah. In vain would indicate that, that all that's gone before has been a waste. That's what in vain means, that we think that all that we've done has been a waste. We feel cheated of perhaps what could have been if we hadn't been following God. We're looking back. I want to say, brothers, sisters, there's nothing back there. <laughs> Don't look back. In reality, we miss out living. In reality, we miss out living only for ourselves. You know, um, we miss out when we live for ourselves. Let's read 1 Corinthians um, 15, verse 58. It's a really amazing verse. Praise God, nothing we do for him is in vain. Is that encourage, encouraging you this morning? Nothing you've done for God is in vain. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. That's a great promise, isn't it? Number three, faith killer, is self-pity. Self-pity. Verse 14. Generally speaking, not many people jump at the chance to get it, go to a pity party. <laughs> if you're invited to a pity party by someone else, it's sort of, okay, all right. I'll listen for a bit, you know. Maybe Asaph had been assigned to a run of night duties, you know, night shifts in the temple when he wrote this. Maybe, maybe Asaph had been having a pretty hard time of it. The bottom line is some things in life just simply aren't fair. We need to work towards a fairer society and learn to hate oppression and racism. But it's how we respond to unfairness to us that really shapes us and determines whether our security is in God or if our dreams are just our own dreams and wants. No self-pity. Let's do away with the self-pity parties. It all seemed pretty dark for Asaph. And I'm sure his honesty before God is still helpful for many, even today, as we hear these genuine doubts. Maybe they're helpful. Until he realized the effect he was having on his kids, on who was coming after him. Let's read verse 15. Verse 15, if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have de 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 betrayed the generation of your children. In other words, watch what you're doing because it's going to affect your kids. You know, when he realized what he was doing to those coming after him, he, he sort of pulled himself up. I better watch my words and my attitudes, he is thinking, because my, the kids are watching and listening. I could do church online or not at all, as many Christians are choosing. But what's that saying to the kids? 
Who's looking up to you? If you're not moving forward, then no one will be following after you. If you're not moving forward, then no one will be moving, following after you. So what comes next is the key word to this whole psalm. It's the game changer. It's the fired up coach at halftime. It's the pivot point of this whole psalm and the antidote to Asaph's depression. And I, key, I believe this key verse is for us all today in our rapidly changing culture. It's like the second half of the World Cup final. Here's the, here it is, drum roll, verse 17. Until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. There we have it. This is the pivot point of the psalm. It's the whole changing of direction for Asaph. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Boom. Worship is the antidote to fear and doubt. Amen. Offering up praise and thanks pushes back the darkness. It pushes back doubts, dark thoughts and self-pity. It is the life-giving, all-nourishing food of our spirit, soul and body. Something about focusing on God's goodness, his character, his works and his salvation plan feeds our inner man, as Paul puts it. Ace of spirit lifts. His whole perspective changes. And he realizes wealth, fame, and popularity are nothing in comparison to the splendor of his Lord. Instead of comparing his life with successful sinners, he realized that the wages of sin is death. In verse 23, he says, Yet I am always with you. You hold me. Your counsel, with your counsel, and afterwards, afterwards, you will take me into glory. He gets a, an eternal view once uh, he draws near to the throne room. In verse 28, he says, but for me, it's good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of your deeds the second half of Psalms is nothing short of a Holy Spirit revelation. With the advantage we have of hindsight on this side of the cross, Paul has a similar revelation in Romans 8 when he says in verse 16 to 18, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Wow, what a promise. Paul goes on to say in verse 37, in all these things, we are more, more, everyone say more, more than conquerors through him who loved us. What are these things he's referring to? 
Well, if we look back in verse 35, we see their trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, and the sword. Pretty amazing coming from Paul in prison. Both Asaph and Paul draw a link between belonging and suffering. And both men conclude it's worth it. If we belong to Jesus, we may suffer. We will suffer. Do you know him? Do you really know his voice? The joy of really knowing him gets us through anything and opens our eyes to his glory and the reward that awaits us. When we spend quality time in the sanctuary with the Lord, our stink attitudes drop away, our visions expanded, our values begin to align with his, and we overcome life's troubles. So let's stop looking back, doubting who we are in Christ, and live out our future standing today with renewed vigor, confessing there's nothing in heaven or on earth that is more desirable than Christ our Saviour. This is such a timely psalm for our world at present, I believe. You know, Christians are often seen as being so heavenly-minded that we're of no earthly use, I've heard it said. So how do we change that picture? How can we preach Christ and influence worldly values in the culture of our day and address the injustices of our time in history. Slavery and racism are still huge issues in many parts of the world. And many moral leaders have made the mistake of being so consumed with their cause that they lose either their family or their faith along the way. Psalm 73 gives us keys to overcome with our spiritual life intact. Verse 1, we learn that knowing God is good is his one, you know, is our rock solid foundation. Knowing that God's good, knowing he is good all the time, and knowing his wonderful plan of salvation. It's an anchor. It's a rock in our life that we can base anything that we do for him on. And in verse 17, we find that entering into the sanctuary or the Holy of Holies in praise and thanks, especially as a church family, is the constant fuel for this journey of faith. So we need those two things. We need the cause to be grounded in the fact that God is good. And we need the fuel for the journey, that presence of God, the worshipping in the sanctuary, to have fuel for the tank to do the distance. Thomas Moss didn't die in vain. A young black journalist by the name of Ida B. Wells Barnett took up his cause and many others. She eventually exposed lynchings and mob killings through the power of the pen, leading to changes in the law in the early 20th century. 
Praise God, nothing we do for him is in vain. Let's just finish and wrap this up by just reading again 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. No looking back, no comparing, no pity parties. Just be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our toil, some of you here today, I believe, have felt like you've worked and worked and worked. You've done so much for so little, perhaps. But the word says it's not in vain. The word says he sees. He sees what you've done. He sees that kind act, that, that act of, of love and word of encouragement and word in season that you've given. I want to say to you, the Lord sees that today, and there's many here. I could say that too. If that word's for you, receive it. Because nothing you've done is in vain. But remember that God is good and to enter the sanctuary and give him great, great praise and glory. Let's pray. Father, we've, I believe, come near to your throne room this morning in praise. It's encouraged me. It's encouraged our children and our children's children for us to be in your presence. I just pray for those here today that are, are discouraged at the moment, perhaps looking at the situation wondering why isn't it better or why does that person get that, that thing. Lord, I just want to pray that we would just take these keys and, and apply them today to everything we do this week. Lord, that we would just not, not be burdened down under this load of cultural thinking. But Lord, we'd rise above it in you and in your word and just know that you see everything, all those things we've done. And you've, you've said, well done. Keep going. Keep going. Just pray that we just continually come into the Holy of Holies in our daily walk and keep seeing you in others and seeing where we can impact this generation, bringing about justice, hope, peace, and love, wrapped around with faith. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.